to Perpetual Notion Machine on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. So today we're uh, featuring a couple of stories uh, regarding horses. Um, first we're going to get into some wild horses um, and then we will learn a little bit about um, the ones that we have right here in our backyards uh, in Wisconsin. So first we journey to the American West. We're walking on a dusty road framed by choya cactuses, boots pointed toward the craggy gray mountains rising up in the distance. We hear a low hum that slowly builds from the next hill. Hoofbeats. A herd of wild horses, a hundred strong, thunders past, leaving a plume of dust in their wake. They fly to their destination, unburdened by threats of predators. We pass a trail of hoofprints and snap a photo on our smartphone. It's 2022. Horses still roam many states in the western U.S., uh, wild as ever, but as their numbers grew without natural predators and land became more scarce, herds are no longer able to sustain themselves from the land. In order to protect the cultural heritage of wild horses and ensure their continued survival on intact ecosystems, the Bureau of Land Management ma manages populations of wild horses on public lands. Management strategies include adoption programs that bring horses to new homes in other parts of the U.S., Today, we visit an adoption event in West Bend, Wisconsin. We met with two staff members from the Bureau of Land Management. My name is Stephanie Carmen. I'm the district manager here of the BLM's Northeastern States District. I'm Martha Malik. I'm the public affairs specialist at the Northeastern States District. So the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management's Wild Horse and Burrow program stems from the 1971 Free Roaming and Wild Horse and Burrow Act, which when the um, settlers first came to the U.S., they brought horses with them. Over time, those horses got free and started reproducing wild on the range. Um, it's a very iconic vision that people have of the West, that there are horses out there roaming free. Um, Congress in 1971 decided to protect this. The BLM has certain lands set aside for these horses to live on. Um, and the BLM manages them to the extent we can, um, their numbers. So a little history on the wild horses. In North America, the dominant narrative, as we heard, is that horses arrived with European colonizers. Horses in Europe were first domesticated in the western region of the Eurasian steppe, um, especially the lower Volgodon region, as was found in a 2021 research study. By analyzing almost 300 ancient horse genomes, the study found that the modern domestic horse replaced all other local horse populations as they expanded across Eurasia from about 2000 BCE. Alongside human cultural uh, changes indicated by remnants of equestrian material culture, such as chariots, the genomic history of these horses also reveals adaptations in the horse, including changes in locomotor and behavioral traits. But what is less well studied um, is the history of horses native to North America. And we're going to cover this a little bit in a clip uh, at the end of the show. But uh, research, uh, recent research from Dr. Yvette Renninghorst Collin at the University of Alaska Fairbanks traces the history of horses in the Americas who were known to indigenous peoples prior to the arrival of European people and horses. Currently, it's estimated that only a few thousand horses of indigenous ancestry remain. To support this cultural and ecological heritage, 
there's a program uh, currently underway called the Native American Horse Preservation Program. And more information on that is available at sacredwayssanctuary.org. Whatever their heritage, wild horses currently face a massive challenge to their continued well-being. Well, horses breed really fast, um, so we have more than the land can support. Wild horses uh, do not have any natural predators, and they're they're oh. uh, they're good si life. yeah they <laughs> double what every I think three to four years. That's so so fast. it's it's tough yeah. for us to just pinpoint down. Okay, we got it at this, and we're gonna let it stay at this. So um, you know, some years back it was like up in the twenty thousands. Now it's a little past. Uh, close to 83,000 wow. that we have out there. So that's how quickly they can uh, increase their populations. These populations are too large and fast growing to be able to survive on public lands alone. Wild horse adoption is a much needed source of homes to alleviate pressure on wild herds and populations in holding facilities, and a way that experienced horse handlers across the country can support healthy herds and ecosystems. So the BLM Eastern States Office covers the 31 states east of the Mississippi. Okay, that's a lot of states. It's a lot of states. <laughs> it's a lot of states, and we have two district offices, in Northeastern, which is the 20 northern states, and the Southeastern, the 11 okay. South. So we divide up that way, and then each one of those district offices has a wild horse and burrow adoption oh. program. So in the northeastern states we do an adoption event at one of the 20 northeastern states oh so it's not always here nope we come to this location um once a year if anybody ever wants to come back we'll be here the second weekend in september next year mm -hmm. um so we move around to different we had adoptions in connecticut and ohio we have one still coming up in missouri this year um we have them across we have a basically a circus we take on the road and you can come out and adopt a horse so while the, the adoption program is great, and we've adopted out, like you said, 600 mm -hmm. this year, and that's fabulous. That's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Yes. Um, so most of the, the horses that are removed from the range um, go into long-term holding facilities, um, like private pastures, where we feed and water and care for them, um, but where they're not out on the ecosystem, which mm -hmm. isn't sustainable. And then when we say 600, it's not for the, the whole eastern states, it's just for our office. Okay. The uh, Northeastern States District. But that's every in year. In Milwaukee. That's so or, far this year. Oh, okay. Yes. We're, so we're having record numbers. Yes. Um, we're doing moving more horses than ever before, okay. um, which is great. A lot of interested public. With these record numbers of horses needing homes, the Bureau of Land Management does a lot of work to ensure that they have good homes to go to. I think, you know, we're, we're always trying to find that, that sweet spot for a um, good home. Mm -hmm. As we don't just give them away to anybody. Um, we want to make sure that you're prepared for what you're taking on and that you're going to give it a good home. And we do follow up with the adopters afterwards, mm -hmm. make sure everything's okay. And if they have any questions or concerns, they can always reach back out to us. We have a great staff available. Yes. We certainly ask new adopters, like, are you ready for this? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's not just a normal horse. It's better than a normal horse, but it's a lot more work up front. Yeah. There's certain... Like, not just anybody can take home a wild horse and burrow. 
Um, you have to have higher fences than usual. These animals aren't gentled mm-hmm. yet, or we don't promise that they're gentled. They might be. <laughs> but uh, so you have to have, you'll see our fences are taller than most people have in their you know, pastures. Um, we have certain regulations. Um, and when you adopt an animal, it's kind of co-owned between the adopter and the government for its first year. And during that time, we check to make sure everything's going well and that the animal's in good health. And then after a year, you can get full title to the wild horses. But adopting a wild horse isn't just about helping ecosystems. Owners and handlers of wild horses share a deep connection with these animals, and they get up to a wide range of activities in their new homes. So people love their Mustangs. Um, They what I have been told is that they're loyal they are um, uh, sturdy sturdy they are they're longer range um, like these are hardy horses they've been living out in the wild um, but they also you form a really good bond with them mm-hmm. um, it takes a while it's different than you know just adopting a little pony yes. um, but it uh, form a really good relationship with them and they'll be with you they're people people love them so people ride them Mm -hmm. does it take a while for them to get used to that there was a young woman here probably 14 got um, her mustang today she was super excited she got one six months ago and so um, that one she already has barrel riding wow Wow. Um, yeah so um, we have this tip program, which is where you work with trainers who are um, specialized in Wild Horse and Burrow. So if you're new to it, it's great to go through the tip program where you can work with a dedicated trainer mm-hmm. to help you get them gentled. Um, but yeah, a lot of people that come, they adopt, you know, two to six. Wow. Um, a lot of, we'll, we'll find you some adopters to speak with because they, they love them. Even our volunteer who's here, I think he has three or four. I think he, yeah, three or four. Wow. Yeah. So he if you're bringing some. in that many animals, do, do folks tend to have large um, herds? What are they called? Packs? Herds? Herds. They're herds. called herds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah at, already at home? Or? Well, I, I think think the consistency of people either adopting an animal or purchasing an animal is it's like if you buy one you got to get another one then you get another one and it just it becomes a part of their families mm-hmm. and then it also depends on their goal of that animal mm-hmm. you know what is the role that I want this animal to play in my life or in my family's life and it could be different things companionship or they could put them in uh, championships like the barrel rolling mm-hmm. um, trail riding uh, back yeah police oh, wow. horses um, and I'll let you touch on the cemetery, what we're doing yeah. with that. So, um, we, they, so the Army has a platoon. It's called a caisson platoon, which are the horses that carry the caskets. They draw the caskets at Arlington National Cemetery for um, fallen military heroes. And we're, we're working with them. They've historically had some wild horses. Um, we're working with them wow. to improve their program and partner with us. Yes. totally depends and it depends on how much time you spend with them exactly and you know what your facilities are like and some people 
just have them for pasture animals. They're yeah. not looking for them to go trail riding or no. anything like that. And that's fine too, as long as you're taking care of them. As long as they're gentled enough that they can get veterinary care, mm. they can get their hooves trimmed, and they can get their shots and stuff when it's needed. As long as they're healthy, you can. they can be your best friend. Mm-hmm. They can go on road trips with you. They oh. Can, <laughs> they can, wow. Uh, yeah. You can take them, you know, to shows. You can do rodeos with them. Yeah. Or they can just hang out in your pasture in and your pasture be and your friend. Pretty. Adopting a wild horse comes with support from the Bureau of Land Management and also from a passionate community of wild horse owners and volunteers. I mentioned the TIP program. Um, We have a Mustang makeover program with the Mustang Heritage Foundation. Um, If you look on the BLM's Wild Horse and Borough site, our website, there's a lot of good information in there. We have pamphlets, videos, Mm -hmm. and the whole community the Mustang community is very strong. Um, so if you, you know, even come to one of these events and just hang around, you'll meet people who have a bunch of horses and they'll tell you about, oh, I talked to this person. We had a woman here earlier who she's very interested in adopting, but she's you know, recognizes that it's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. So she's been like, what trainers do you recommend mm-hmm. so that we can get her, you know, this is a good barn that we know of or, um, where you can get the support, um, but it's a big community. Um, it's it and is. people are very, very passionate about their their mustangs. Yes. Yeah. What What are you like most about these wild horses? I love to see. So we get a lot of like 4-H and young kids that come out, and oh. they they picked out their horse six months ago. They've been begging their parents, and they come out, <laughs> and they're just they walk up so each one of the horses has their tag number on there and they walk up and they these young people have memorized their tag numbers they're like i'm here for 7508 we're 7508 i just love the joy they have and they're like oh i'm gonna name her brownie and like they they've already bonded with them before they've even gotten on the trailer um and they're gonna have if you talk to like some of our specialists they've had their Mustang since they were that old mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's a passion that people develop young and continue throughout their lives yeah. any well the one the one thing that I like when I come out to an adoption event even though they're wild animals and even though they do their rut kits or everything but if you just sit and you watch them there's some kind of calmness or some kind of spiritual I, I don't know what it is and, and you can feel it and that that's what I'm most passionate about when I come out and I'm looking at the animals and I'm looking at uh, talking to people that are thinking about adopting or have already adopted and um, that's what I get out of it so if someone is interested in adopting what can they do The local adoption event in Wisconsin happens in September every year, um, so that's already passed this year, but you can wait for the next one, or there are other options throughout the year. The online corral is a new program we have also, which um, allows people to go online and basically pick out their horses there. It can get pretty competitive for some of the the fancy horses, Palominos and Painted, and so you can, if you're looking for something very specific like that, the online corral is a great place to go and look. And for some of those 
um, I don't want to say better because they're all wonderful. Yeah. Um, but some of those very iconic horses, they'll be actually like bidding wars oh, wow. on them. And it's, it's a great program, gets a lot of attention. And then if you adopt on there, you can pick up different places to pick them up. Um, so a lot of these are actually already adopted and their people will be coming out to pick them up. And we have a facility in Ewing, Illinois also where people can go anytime mm -hmm. and pick oh. up um, wild horses and burrows. We have about 200 to 300 horses there. Okay, so it doesn't have to be a, speci a mm -hmm. special adoption event. Yeah, we just okay. do these to get, get out more, um, bring the horses to people. Mm -hmm. um, but we had people that drove in from Michigan and Illinois. Um, I think there were some from Minnesota earlier yes. here today. Yes. Um, but you know the ones in we had Connecticut and Pennsylvania this year, so we always try to get up into the Northeast. There's a lot of interest there. Uh, one of the things that um, I just want to reiterate is that um, I believe this is the second or third year that we've been here. So we're just trying to educate the public that, hey, we're gonna be here every year now. This is a permanent on-site location for you to adopt an animal, to buy an animal, or to pick up your animal uh, from the online corral. So this is called the BLM's Wild Horse and Burrow Program. So what about the burrows? What do people tend to um, adopt the burrows for? Like uh, well, burrows are protectors of, of herds and of course oh. of your surrounding area where you live at. Um, they, and they'll also help uh, herd up whatever you have in on your range. They're good herders. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, they will kill a coyote. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I didn't know they could yes. do that. Yes. Wow. I mean, they look little, but they're strong and mighty. Wow. Yeah. And then some of them, some people use them for backpacking, you know, once they're gentled up. Wow. So, um, so interesting. Yeah. Cool. And they're so darn cute. Yeah, they are. And they'll kill a coyote. So more information on the Wild Horse and Burrow Program can be found at blm.gov slash WHB. Now, this isn't the first time that we've talked about horses at WRT. Earlier this fall, WRT host Bert Zipperer interviewed M. Lorzel about the LaCroix Indian Pony, a small horse that was once semi-feral and used by the Ojibwe people. As M. tells us, this pony reached near extinction in the 1960s, but its numbers have slowly built to around 150 ponies due to revitalization efforts in the U.S. and Canada. The guest, M. Lorzel, is a caretaker of a handful of ponies in River Falls, Wisconsin. This is an excerpt of that hour-long interview from October. Let's take a listen. Today, we're going to be talking about horses, specifically Ojibwe ponies, known as Lac LaCroix indigenous ponies, because this is where the horses were last found in the wild. Lac LaCroix is a First Nation in Ontario, northwest of Thunder Bay, north of Minnesota. And Minnesota is where these indigenous Ojibwe ponies were historically found. I'm really happy to have as our guest M. Lorzell, of the White Earth Ojibwe Nation. M is the founder of the group The Humble Horse, located near Eau Claire, Wisconsin, dedicated to these amazing fellow creatures. M, welcome to WORT. Bert, thank you so much for having me. Bujuwindinwe Magnadug, Nadmage Kwe Indigenakaz Wabanesi and Dodem, 
Ojibwe, uh, Anishinaabe, Kwe, and Ndao. So what you just heard right there was a traditional Ojibwe protocol greeting. Um, I introduced myself with my, my traditional name, my clan, which is Bird Clan, and uh, where my what nation I am, which I am Ojibwe Nation. I'm so excited for you to have me on today. Tell us about Ojibwe ponies. Gosh, I mean, I could tell you about their personality first, which is um, they're all so sweet and curious and smart, and they're all so friendly. Um, these horses, they follow you around. Uh, they want to know what you're doing, and they want to be close to you. They just want to love on you. They range anywhere from uh, 11, uh, sometimes 12, to 14.1 hands. And for my non-horsey people, a hand equals four inches. Um, so you have uh, three hands, which makes makes up a foot. Their coloring comes from anywhere from dun to bay, so like a brown. Um, we don't often have paints or creams or um, white. So there, a lot of them are dark. Most of my herd is dark. And a fun fact, all of my herd have one sock, at least, a one little white sock. Um, and they have the, the smallest, fuzziest little ears that you will ever see that helps protect them against cold and biting black flies. And they have this really special little double nose flap uh, that helps regulate cold air intake that we uh, like to enjoy in our seemingly sub-Arctic environment that they, um, they adapted to. I could tell you about the history. Uh, the fact that there was only four remaining in 1976, and now we have 180 left in the world with less than 20 potentially in the United States. Uh, I'm an open book about our little uh, indigenous horses, in indigenous to the Midwest, and it's so exciting to talk about them. That's so great. Let's, let's go back to the history. I was not aware of Anishinaabe people having horses and I, I was list, I talked with you and I did some other research and I'm reading that the origin story is tens and tens of thousands of years from from antiquity from the beginning the horses have always been here talk about them historically yeah so you know I've I've been trying to get to the bottom of what their creation story was and, and that's actually something I've been working on with a few colleagues over at um, University of Wisconsin-Madison. We're uh, trying to put together um, a project to kind of document and preserve those really important and beautiful stories from our elders. But my best guess is, you know, a lot of tribes, um, including sometimes our own, will use the word dog and horse interchangeably. And what our creation story says about the dog is they were here right they were given to us as relatives and as um, to take care of each other uh, right after we named everything with the wolf in the universe. And so I have to wonder if, if that story reflects um, what we believe about Anishinaabe horses. And um, there is some, some emerging evidence to, to say that, you know, horses probably survived a lot longer than we initially thought out of the Ice Age. Uh, I'm sure that there were some horses, uh, well, I, I know that there are some horses that were brought here by European settlers to create different um, uh, herds that we have today in the United States. But I also like to think that maybe with the help of Anishinaabe people and our ancestors and our the people before us, some of these horse relatives survived and thrived like 
the Ojibwe pony. Um, and so, yeah, back in the early 1900s and, and kind of uh, before that, uh, there were folks who would tell stories that they would, these horses would be so plentiful, like deer. Uh, you could find them everywhere. Um, and they were they were thriving, much like the Anishinaabe people. Exactly. And as a legacy of colonialism and, and settlement and a lot of horrible things, um, they dwindle, they, 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 are, they are hunted and brought down to the number of four left in 1976, right? Yeah. So unfortunately, um, you know, if you think about this horse uh, traditionally, right, we... Um, What's really amazing about the Ojibwe pony and its relationship to the people is it was symbiotic and consensual. Uh, they would come back every year. We didn't have to tie them up. We didn't have to contain them. They would come back every year um, to help us during the winter, the Anishinaabe people, with uh, their stories of logging, helping dragging logs, helping check trap lines, helping us ice fish. Um, digging through that tough ice with their tough hooves to help us get fish and in turn help them get fish. Um, we would supply them with uh, wild rice, things like that. And then in turn, um, we would help them during foaling season to protect against predators. Uh, and it, they came back every year and we helped them every year. And, um, you know, it's just kind of this really, really beautiful story. Uh, unfortunately, you know, if you think about um, how do you limit per a person? You take away their livelihood. You take mm -hmm. away their ancestor. You take away their cultural elements. And as we saw more Anishinaabe people being forced onto reservations, we saw that a lot of our horses were sent to factories, um, glue processing and dog food processing um, up until 1976, where you only had four mares left that were considered a public nuisance and were scheduled to be destroyed um, by the uh, Canadian government. And those four were saved. Talk about that story. Oh, the heist across the ice. Yes, That's everyone's yes. favorite story. Um, yeah, uh, so there were four men, uh, two from the Lac La Croix Nation and two from uh, Fort Boys that had pretty much gotten wind that, um, hey, you know, uh, these horses are going to be destroyed. And that really <laughs> wasn't okay with them. And so those, um, their names were Fred uh, Isham's, and I'm probably butchering the name, so I do apologize, Wally Olson, Walter um, Satala, and Omar Hides, right? And so these four guys in the middle of the night uh, snuck over the border, loaded these four mares, um, into a horse trailer, snuck over the border again to a sanctuary farm in Minnesota, and um, eventually, because unfortunately the last stallion and stud was killed uh, by a researcher who thought he was a moose cub, was shot in the 60s, and so was um, crossed with a uh, Spanish Mustang uh, to help the breed survive. And all, all 180 of our Ojibwe ponies in the world today are somehow, you know, one of them, they're related to one of those four mares. The heist across the ice. What a great story. We've been talking about indigenous ponies, the Lac LaCroix indigenous ponies, the Ojibwe ponies with M. Lorzel of the humble horse.
This was WRIT host Bet Zipperer in conversation with M. Lorzell about the history of the LaCroix Indian Pony. That conversation originally aired on uh, WRIT's noontime talk show, A Public Affair, in October, and you can listen to the full hour at WRTFM.org. I've been your host, Serena Zhao. Thank you for joining me tonight for a roundup of wild ponies here on Perpetual Notion Machine. Up next is Radio Literature. <laughs>